before I promote anyone or even consider promoting someone, they have to pass this series of questions. They have to answer yes to all of them. If at any point they don't, then we won't promote them. So the first question is... Leadership isn't about being an authority. It isn't about having charisma or being in control or knowing all the answers. So what does it mean to be a leader? That's what we're here to find out. I'm Nicholas, your host, founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. Come and join us as we sit down with amazing leaders from all walks of life. Let's transform today's leadership into effective leadership here on the Life I Lead podcast. Well, well, welcome to another edition of the Life I Lead podcast. I'm Nicholas, your host and founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. Today, we've got an amazing guest. We're joined by Lauren Goldstein, who is the CEO of Golden Key Partnerships. Uh, this is an award-winning business consulting firm. She has over 12 years experience as a trusted advisor to some of the fastest growing businesses and Fortune 500 companies. As you hear in the interview, Lauren is known as the biz doctor for her unique ability to diagnose the root cause of challenges that keep entrepreneurs stuck in the trenches of their business. And she creates this space for them for freedom, freedom in their lives and freedom in their businesses. She has uh, worked and given her insights to the Huffington Post to Thrive Global and other leading publications. Uh, and I'm really excited to welcome her to the microphone. This has been a couple of weeks in the in the organizing, uh, and I know she's had to get up very early in the States. Um, but I know that for those of you who sometimes need a little nudge in the direction to be able to look at restructuring your team and scaling versus growth, I know this is going to be a great interview. Uh, so sit back and enjoy it. So without further ado, let me introduce to the Life I Lead podcast, Lauren Goldstein. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us. You're in the USA, so you are a few hours ahead of us. You're at half past nine in the morning, and here in the UK, we're at half past three. And I know you're really busy, and you've taken time out to share you know, your experience of the companies you work with, the leadership in companies you work with. And it would be really interesting to catch your thoughts on leadership that you observe around the globe, watching the news. You know, one of the unique things about the Life I Lead podcast is that this isn't for the upper echelons of society and leadership only. This is also about how people can reflect that leadership in their own homes, in their own lives, in their partnerships, in their parenting. Uh, so you are really welcome. And I know having researched a little bit about you and the Golden Key Partnership that you are going to inspire us today. So welcome. I've given a little introduction in the intro, but tell us a bit about yourself and where you sit as CEO of Golden Key Partnerships. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to our chat. Uh, for me, where I sit as Golden Key Partnership CEO is really at the intersection, at least for my clients of partner, you know, that's where the partnership in my, my company title comes from. And then that objective third party advisor to help them see things that, you know, they might be too close to actually see because of, um, you know, all the emotions that come with running a business. 
And then of course, there's the other component of, I don't want to say therapist, but let's just say my background in cognitive neuroscience comes in very handy with Mm -hmm. the roadblocks that can happen and keep us stuck um, from having bigger lives, more success, being more effective leaders. Yeah, that's really interesting. And from your position, looking mm-hmm. looking externally but heavily involved, give us a flavour of what you feel the state of current leadership. And I'm, I'm I'm talking about governmental leaders, talking about leaders that you meet at, at, at the upper echelons of business. You know, what is the what is the feeling that you have of leadership in the world at the moment? Oh wow, <laughs> I feel like it's a very a very loaded question. Um, I think I'm probably a little bit contrary in my view of leadership. I, I'm trying to formulate my thought here, but I feel like so much of the, I'm using air quotes because you guys can't see me, the leadership yeah. that we have in the world isn't true leadership because I like to think of leadership like essentially my job is to create other leaders to mm-hmm. facilitate win-wins to create the inspiration and vision for where we're going. And I think so many of the leaders fall short because they're not actually orchestrating win-wins. They're creating this. And there's this really wonderful game. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called the red black game, (laughs) but Harvard plays, plays it. It's a very fascinating game, but essentially the leaders that I see in the world really are not playing a game where we're all winning. It's where they are winning and we, the people are, you know, either being used in different ways that are, I don't think very humanly supportive. Let me put it that right. Way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because of that, mm-hmm. you know, I speak a lot about the, the, the apathy of passion for things like democracy or the apathy of passion to step up and be leaders or the apathy of passion mm-hmm. to be really good engaged followers you know how do mm-hmm. you feel uh that that how is that playing out on people who are being led how is that playing out on the democracy how is that playing out on patients at doctor's surgery at children at kindergarten school at demoralized teachers you know how is that going to play out Yeah. So apathy in terms of like a lack of interest in those things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting because for as connected of a world as we are, I feel we're more disconnected than we've ever been, more divided. And I think that there's a certain level of apathy because there's there's this disconnection and disbelief that we have we still have the power to change to lead to make a difference because i feel like we're bombarded with so many things every day that mm. say like the economy is crashing or you know oil prices or commodities or the pound or conversions and and it can feel really overwhelming and like we don't actually have that much say or that much power or that much of an ability to make a difference. And and I don't think that's true. I think that's what some, shall we say, nefarious leaders that I don't think have our best interests at heart have made us believe. But with every situation where one is trying to control the other throughout history, they've devised all of these various and sundry things to disconnect us to make us feel powerless etc because the truth is that we are all 
very powerful. And we all, when we all agree on a point that we are going to get to, then we become unstoppable. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really important message that I think a lot of us in our field spend our time delivering to organizations and individuals is that people are more powerful than we mm-hmm. believe they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's an impressive message. One of the things I, I read about the ways in which you work is that mm-hmm. you have brought clients multiple six figures with some really simple team restructuring. And this is something I work on a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I deal with in, in business, uh, in SEM, small and medium enterprises, and in big national companies, NHS, education. And obviously the success of a leader is based on the success of a team. And the success mm-hmm. of a team is based on the the initiative, influence and wonders of a leader. Give us some of those small changes to a team that is going to be really effective. If a leader listening to this, driving to work or driving on the school run this afternoon thinks, do you know what? That is me. I'm I'm really struggling. Mm-hmm. How do I make some small but significant changes to my team to change dynamic? Mm. I love this question because um, I'm very fond of saying the, the chasm between mediocre and good is very large. The chasm between good and great also equally as large. I mean, they wrote a whole book about it, but the the chasm between great and extraordinary is very, very small. It's, you know, two millimeters. And so a lot of- I'm just going to interrupt you. That is amazing because uh, last week I was talking to you, I interviewed um, Brian and the week before I read the chapter from my own book called From Good to Greatness, From Goodness to Greatness. And I now feel like I need to include another chapter about from greatness to exceptional. Mm -hmm. There you are, you see. I have just been, you've just inspired me. That's a connection I'd never made, Lauren. Thank you. Tell us a bit about greatness to exceptional. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yeah. So this, this, this step from, you know, being great to extraordinary is, is really two millimeters. And so a lot of the work that I do is that two millimeter adjustment because as your business grows, as your business scales, which are two different things, it should get more simple, not more complicated. And and the things that I see tripping up leaders who are building teams are a couple of things. One, if you fell into the trap that most business owners fall into of hiring yourself multiple times over, then that will inevitably lead to the blind leading the blind. So I always start with, you know, a team diagnostic and understanding what your unique CEO profile is and what your strengths are so that you can truly build a complementary team that strengths are your challenge areas. Cause that's really how, um, you're going to be able to get out of the weeds and make a bigger impact doing the things that you are really skilled at. The other thing that comes up a lot is not understanding the difference between what I call players and worker bees. So a player is somebody who is uh, autonomous, creative thinking. They generally come with a plan. They're the people that when you say, you know, we want to, I don't know, decrease our churn rate by 5% or increase our profits by 20%, they'll say, this is the plan that I have. And so for me, Players create profit. They uh, give you back time. They also generally are revenue producing in some capacity. Where worker bees tend to be the people that are task driven. 
who are are not necessarily the critical thinkers who, when they don't have something to do, will think, oh, maybe I'll go do this because this will have an impact on the business. They're very siloed in their thinking. And what that creates is, unfortunately, you're now doing two people's jobs. You're doing your job, but you're also trying to think of things for them to do. And the reason I know that some of these uh, businesses that I work with and teams have worker bees is because I'll hear things like, why can't they just do their job? Or can they not just think of something to do? Or I have a team, but so much still falls on me. And while I'm not saying you should not have any worker bees, that's certainly not what I'm saying. Worker bees are wonderful. They're like a necessary, a necessity in any business. But if you have a smaller team and you do not have players that are managing the worker bees and you are managing the players, you're going to be stuck in this vortex of putting out fires and telling them what to do and basically busy versus productive. Give me an insight. Uh, Give me an insight to um, what happens when worker bees mm -hmm. due to some um, wonderful trait in their personality or their dedication or the hours they pull or their smiley face on a Monday morning, or they bring cookies into the bloody office. What happens when worker bees end up as leaders? Oh, (laughs) Well, that, my friend, I can tell you a great story about. And so a a lot of times I see people promoting for the wrong reasons. So, you know, we've all heard the cautionary tale of promoting your top sales leader to manager and then they leave the company, right? Yeah. So I had a client that I was, I came in as fractional COO for. And before I, before I tell the story, this, this little nuggets will be really great for any leader listening before I promote anyone or even consider promoting someone, they have to pass this series of questions. They have to answer yes to all of them. If at any point they don't, then we won't promote them. So the wow. questions go like this. Yes. They're very Should I do questions. it? Should it, do you want to do it on me? Sure. Yeah, I can do it on you. Go on then. <laughs> all right. Um, how big is your team, by the way? How big's my what? How big's your team, by the way? Uh I've got probably eight. Okay, perfect. So the first question is, do you know what you need to do to be successful in your role? Yes. Do you know what someone else needs to do to be successful in their role? Yes. Do you feel comfortable telling someone else what to do to be successful in their role? Absolutely. Yes. Great. Then I would promote you. You passed with flying colors. (laughs) That's amazing. Do you get people that say no to those questions? I can understand that in a team of mm-hmm. like 200, you know, uh, if you've got a, if you're part of a CEO of a huge corporation, I run my own company. I employ people to do various things and absolutely I have to run a tight ship in order for this boat to float and succeed. If you're dealing right. with people who say no, what triggers do they give? Um, so generally they'll, I mean, I have a high, a high level of trust with teams when I come in and leaders and and things like that. So that trust is the first component of a, of a high performing team, but um, well, trust slash clarity, clarity might be, might be the top there, but um, if they answer no, generally it's for one of the, I mean, I've had people answer no because they don't have the clarity around their role, which is a whole nother episode to talk Mm -hmm. about. But a lot of times we promote people who really aren't willing to go up against their growth edge and be uncomfortable leading people. So if they answer no to the third one, that for sure is a red flag. But a lot of times we also see people who 
love to tell people what to do in their job, but aren't succeeding in their job, or uh, they're just not really plugged in enough or aware enough to understand what goes on in someone else's role and therefore being a good leader. And so it's a good litmus test to just make sure not only do they want it, but do they have enough company awareness to be a, an effective leader? And Can so, I ask you, in that yeah. process, you know, mm-hmm. say there are three to five questions. And one of the things I encounter a lot, and I talk about on this podcast a lot and my book, and, and I know that, you know, you must encounter this, is that people in leadership that have invited you in or that have mm-hmm. employed your services or your company's services to work with them spend the first two months, you know, I don't have a course. I do a lot of um, mini courses like buy it and do it self-led. Yeah. Yeah. The shortest actual course I do that involves me is like eight weeks. And that's the mm. shortest because the first three to five weeks mm-hmm. of those eight, they're going to be, they're going to be bullshitting me. They're going to be saying, oh, yes to question one, yes to question two. As soon as you talk or scratch beneath the surface, talk to their PA, talk to everyone's like, that guy hasn't got a clue. And so there must be some people that are going, oh, yes, Lauren, question one, yes. Question two, yes. And you're like, this is absolute crap. I can tell by the format (laughs) you're running and the life you're living, you're in denial, person. You know, Mm. does that happen a lot? Um, I mean, not with the work that I do, because I have a pretty great BS meter. Um, and these questions are embedded in um, a series of questions that I ask. So when I come in as fractional COO and also in my diagnostic deep dive, I do one-to-one interviews with all of the top leaders. And so this is a great story about how this actually will tell you a lot. So I was having this one-to-one with one of the managers of a very, very big department at this company. Um, they're a $45 million company, 180, I think, people by the time I left. Uh, so not so not a little business. And this department happened to be one of the biggest departments. And, and we're having, I'm having this conversation and I'm I'm getting red flag after red flag after red flag. I mean, things you know, he's telling me like he resents leadership, he wasn't properly onboarded. Um, you know, the fact that, I mean, this blew me away that he was really, really struggling with something and would not ask for help for six weeks. Um, so the way that I, I kind of structure all of these interviews allows me to really get to the root cause. And so I'm having red flag after red flag. And of course I ask him the three questions and he actually answered no to all of them. Wow. <laughs> He's he was not clear what he needed to be successful. He wasn't clear on other people's jobs because there's so many silos in the company. And he and he basically hated managing people. So of course, you know, I sound the fire alarm. Normally, normally these calls are not as drastic where I assemble everyone and I'm like, listen, you've got to let this person go. Because most things, if you have a leader that you've invested in that you that can get you to the next level, there are a lot of things that you can do to to support that leader, change course. But the one thing that I can never walk back is resentment. If they have, if they have developed that, I can't, I can't unring that bell. And so do I think that leadership did him dirty by promoting him in the way that they did and really setting him up for failure? Absolutely. But there's a certain level of accountability on both sides that if he hadn't gotten to this resentment, please place, we could, we could shift him around and we could say, you know, we made a bad choice. 
we want to put you back where you don't have to manage anybody and it can be great. Anyway, so I assembled everyone. I said, he's got to go. Um, we need to make a plan, a, tra- a succession plan, because he is a manager. Like, let's do this. And so within two weeks, he was gone. And we did a postmortem, which if you're not doing postmortems in your business, <laughs> this is your sign. Absolutely do them. Um, they're very simple. It's what happened. Why did I it think, happen? I think to be fair, Lauren, most people call them debriefs, but I'm happy to <laughs> jump on board with postmortem. Sounds marvelous. Yeah. I mean, I think a debrief is a little bit different, um, at least in in my opinion. Like Postmortem always implies that somebody's dead. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, in most cases where I'm doing a postmortem, something did not go well and thus could be flatlining. Um, it's it's probably also, you know, a little bit of my biz doctor uh, moniker coming in. But so we did a postmortem. And we found that over the past eight months, this person had cost the business $2 million in losses. Wow. Wow. And I think this really illustrates a couple of things. One, um, if you don't know this now, here's here's another moment um, for you listening. I'm I'm sure you know this, Um, but revenue is a lagging metric. So if you're judging your business based on revenue, you are up for a really harsh wake up call. Absolutely. So, but because in this business, it's a high, high revenue business, other departments were excelling and covering up the just coronary bleed of this department. So that's number one. Number two, when you have a a leader that's not speaking up, like sometimes we're like, oh, it's fine because they've got it. But that, and and this goes back to your, your question before about what do leaders need to do to be good leaders? I think a lot of times we, we don't, love doing the soft skills of leadership because it's, you know, not a skill that we all know, but if you throw someone in the deep end and hope that they're going to swim like that, that makes everybody suffer, but it also creates a lack of trust where they don't think that they can come to you and they don't feel like they're supported. And I think in this situation, had they been better leaders and checked in more and been more aware of what was happening within the team, they probably could have stopped this a lot sooner, but they just felt like I'm too busy over here and he's not asking questions. So I think everything's fine. Spoiler alert, it was not fine. So there are two things I want to ask you just to just to drill a little bit deeper. One yeah. is, yeah, how do how do we talk to people in the position of promoting others? You know, I, I everybody has a boss. Every single person has a boss. You know, I yeah. run my own business. I have done. I'm very successful doing that. But I have a boss, and that's called public opinion. That's called not 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 followers. I'm not a social yep. sort of person, but but it is by customers, by client, by reputation. <laughs> I have a boss. You know, yep. everybody has a boss. What happens when people in an industry, in an organization, in a company? under a a leader, see somebody promoted and have to be in fellowship under somebody who has been promoted to leadership that doesn't actually have, I'm doing the same as you now, uh, leadership qualities, they might be diligent. They might be really knowledgeable. They might be specific, adapted, you know, great bears in the wood, but they're not leaders. How do how do we um, how do we 
as followers and those as promoters deal with that or come to terms with that, confront that, start to look at that? That's a huge mm. question. Sorry. That is a huge question. I feel like there's many parts there. Uh, so I, I will do my best to dissect this. So I, I think the first thing to remember that as leaders, our goal is to create other leaders. Yes. And, and so, I mean, there's two sides, right? If somebody is promoted, who is, is not a good leader and not willing to learn, then that's something you can't overcome. But if they're very good in, in all the parts that you, you did, and I would call a growth mindset where they are coachable, where they're willing to listen, where they're humble, they're hungry, they're smart, not smart in an intelligent way, but an emotionally intelligent way, then those are the kind of leaders that you can mold to be great leaders. But if you have the kind of leaders that are, shall we say, I don't know if your show is explicit or not, but jerks. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Muppets, jerks. Jerks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, they're so egotistical that they think that, you know, they're the best thing since sliced bread. Then you come up against something where people just aren't going to follow those types of people and they have to rule by force rather than inspiration. Mm-hmm. And people will, will, you know, follow people to the ends of the earth if they are inspired and supported and feel connected to where they're going versus, you know, the reason why Caesar got killed is is not because he wasn't a leader, it's because he was a jerk. And so, exactly. you know, when you look at, at who you're promoting, you, you want to really think about who's going to be able to cultivate a culture of leadership and inspiration and move the business forward. Like that's really where I think you find the sweet spot of leadership and being able to have leaders that are really effective. Now, if you happen to be reporting to a leader that's ineffective, there's a couple of things that I recommend. Number one, um, there's this phenomenon of managing up where you can kind of coach them how to be better leaders or to lead you more effectively. That's hard Uh, to do without being resentful though, isn't it? That's hard to manage your boss thinking, I'm going to teach you know, it's like teaching a child to do the things that you take for granted. It's like a husband teaching. It's like my wife telling me very gently and beautifully how to do something that she's done every day, but she's away and I've got to learn to do it. And and that's a very, that's a very difficult thing for people to do, isn't it? Manage upwards. You know, I spend a lot of time telling people, you know, we need to hone the skill of managing upwards. That's tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It is tough. And I think I think we have to take it as the whole picture of the business. If if it's a promotion that seems out of character, then I think there's less chance of resentment building because, you know, there were many decisions probably that went into it. But if you're consistently seeing across the organization people that you feel are not qualified to be leaders, then that can mm. be the sign of something that's much more systemic, much more culture, leadership, et cetera. And then the question becomes, is that the kind of company that you feel that you are best served being at? Because there are definitely things that you can do, but at the end of the day, 
if you are not the business owner, you unfortunately have to kind of lump it sometimes when decisions are made. Yeah. So then it just becomes a better, a bigger question of, is this a moment in time that will eventually work out the kinks and this person will be a great leader? And I don't quite understand this decision, but I'm going to be on board because of the bigger picture. Or is this a a symptom of a much bigger problem where I'm now very clear that this company is no longer a fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really, that's a really important analysis and reflection to make, isn't it? Lauren, Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about people who have decided to launch their own company or decided to in fact, launch their own career, not necessarily Uh their own company, just to say, just, who've taken a step back and said, do you know what? My life is my life. I can't Mm -hmm. live under this leadership or I can't lead this Mm -hmm. position. And I'm going to step out and I'm going to do something that tunes into my skills, that tunes into my loves and my passions and gives me everything I want in life. And then they embark on this amazing journey. And I love this. It was one of the reasons that I was so excited to talk to you. They embark on this amazing journey about scaling up and growth. Mm -hmm. What we call scaling up versus growth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a little bit like as a parent, I'm a parent, uh, my wife and I, we have a nine-year-old daughter and we're experiencing the the growing up. But I can tell you now, in the last year, I'm experiencing scaling up. She's scaling. She is now on this stratosphere that I, that is completely not what I was at 10 years older. So tell us a little bit about scaling versus growth. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing I will say to anybody that's looking to become an entrepreneur or business owner is absolutely do it and know that it's not about, you know, lunching every day for three hours and, you know, <laughs> taking golf holidays and all of that. It it could be. It oh, shit. I was so hopeful. I know, right? Um, it will be at some point, but those first few years, you really do have to grow and build it. And it is an emotional roller coaster. And I lovingly say personal development with a paycheck because whatever demons you have not confronted that you've been hiding from or running from, starting your own business, they will come back like, you know, Game of Thrones style. So um, just be forewarned. It is absolutely worth it, but it will be a roller coaster. Um, And so to your point about growing versus scaling, the way that I view growing versus scaling is in those first few years, you are growing, which means that your revenue and your expenses are probably in a photo finish every month. I mean, there's a little obviously profitability But because you're setting the foundational pieces together, and actually, I'm going to, I'm going to sidebar that for a minute. Something that I see happen a lot when people are starting businesses is they, is they try to systematize too early or they add a lot of stuff too early when they haven't got it all figured out. So the analogy I kind of equate to this is, um, is if you're building a house from the ground up and you're putting in the plumbing and the electric you don't just, you know, all of a sudden put up walls and paint and decorate and then turn on the lights or the water to see if it works or if there are any leaks. And I think so often new businesses think they have to have the perfect website, the perfect systems, the perfect, all of this stuff within the first six months to a year. But if I learned 
anything during the growth phase of my business is it was changing dynamically because we were launching and learning, we were streamlining, we were simplifying. And if I look at my first website, which gosh, I really wish I had a picture of, maybe I have somewhere in the archives, but if I look at what that said or what that, you know, I don't know, ecosystem was like in those early, early years versus what it is now, it's night and day. And so when you're growing, you're setting that foundation so that you can get a system together in terms of predictability, a proven process, a proven product. Um, and to that point, you know, it's it's tempting, and I say this from experience, it's tempting to be a mile wide and an inch deep with your offering. I mean, I think in the in those early years, if a client was like, Hey, can you do this? I'd be like, I can't do that in this moment, but I will go YouTube that and I can do it tomorrow. <laughs> right? That's right. Which yeah. was not really supportive. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say in hindsight, that was really great. I mean, nothing bad happened to them. They, they were all very happy. I made money, but it was very stressful, right? Versus today, I'm a mile deep and an inch wide with what we offer. And so those first few years of growth are really about getting this repeatable, proven process and product. And when I say process, it's it's the delivery. It's like what happens after somebody says yes. And then scaling is taking that foundation and doing more, having more impact, having more success and more profitability with the same amount of resources. Like, And I'm not saying that when you scale that you never add expenses. That's not what I'm saying. But generally yeah. when you're scaling, that's when your profitability really starts to grow because you have the set team and systems and processes and then you can just add more um, because you've set up the back end of the business to be able to expand with the increased flow. Can I ask you? I'm gonna I'm gonna just push the boundaries a little bit, Laura. Yeah. I, I'd I'd like your opinion. This is not, you know, this is literally just an opinion in a chat. Would it be fair to say that a lot of you're known as the biz doctor? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I'm I'm not gonna patronize you and ask you to explain that. To most people, that's very, very clear. But diagnose this for me um do you think that a lot of people in the last sort of 15 20 years have found a lot of really good niches Mm -hmm. uh really specific needle point niches that they've been able not only to um involve themselves with engage with but exploit and actually what we're left with is a real skeleton. It might be a blue whale skeleton, but it is a skeleton of what people struggle to decide is a valid business to get engaged with, to buy from, to find useful. This is going to benefit me. It's going to benefit my family. You know, in the UK, we're struggling under the cost of living. You know, everything's gone absolutely mad here. Um, and bills are going out the roof to the extent that the government two days ago have decided that people can pay an interest-free mortgage without having to worry about getting back on that tariff. You know, it's it's absolutely balmy. I put something out on TikTok yesterday about it's cheaper to get from Gatwick Airport to New York at £326 it's the same price to get a train from Manchester to London at £326. Oh yeah. And so we're under this umbrella. But people have exploited and found avenues in business that actually aren't valid. So one of the things I find is 
sitting down with the CEO or sitting down with directors or sitting down with trustees or sitting down with the board of directors and saying, do you know, this is this has only got so many legs. This isn't going to run for very much longer because people are going to have to decide what is serving them as a business, a company or a service or not. There mm-hmm. is not the free money of the 80s in business. There's not the free money yeah. of enterprise. You've got to find a niche. And that's why I was so excited to hear you talk about niches. You've got to find that niche and validate it because customers will find what they want and they will really drill down and validate it before they mm-hmm. invest any money in it. Mm-hmm. Give us your th- That's a huge question that is off the scale you know it wasn't anything we discussed in the green room but i'd be interested to hear your view yeah uh i first of all i love your big questions uh so i think i think there's a couple of layers there first of all i think that so i don't know how long you've had your business i've had my business for 12 12 years so i remember the days where you had to wire money like my clients had to wire money for to me and it was very hard to bill and get paid and it was a whole different landscape and then you know this internet marketing landscape just i feel like happened overnight and I feel like maybe that's the sector that I see people really doing things that don't have like the legacy that perhaps other companies could have. And I, and I, I remember somebody saying it so well, where they basically said that there are, there are coaches out there who are, you know, making their first six figure, teaching other coaches how to make their six figures. And then they've like created this huge business around it. When in reality, there's, there's not really any fundamental core to it i got i got that exact i've had emails like this lauren that's so interesting you say this and don't lose your train of thought but i just want to interject and say i get invitations all the time to come and talk at something or come talk about the scalability or the from a to b of your business you know and and people go pay money and go into these to listen to how somebody went from living in the back seat of their car to running a £42,000 a day business. And you're like, this isn't helping people. This isn't giving right. people realism. Sorry to interject, carry on. Oh, no, 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 you're fine. I, I love I love the introduction. And so I think that there, there's become this, I don't, I don't know if it's a, it's a chasm between business, between businesses where, you know, it's, it's almost like, and I, and I say this with love because, you know, years ago I had a network marketing business as well, but like network marketers are are taught to say that this is business in a box. It's a business, it's your own business, but it's got all the infrastructure. And so I mm-hmm. think that there's a lot of different things that we are calling business that make this comparing your behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel really difficult. Cause you're yeah. like looking over here and you're like, well, God, they made half a million dollars in two years. And here I am, you know, only a, a quarter of a million or or whatever. Yeah. And you're just like, well, why, why did they strike gold and I didn't? And, and so I think it sometimes becomes a little disheartening when you have that like comparison right in front of you because everybody's digitally connected. But there's this actual, this book, let me see if I can find it on Amazon. Somebody recommended it to me the other day and I just ordered it. Um, and I, I think it it really talks to what you were talking about in terms of 
of legacy and longitudinal and longitudinally longevity yeah longitudinally there we go that's the word that's not the word um and so i think that um i don't know if i can find it but i think it's by um simon cynic so let me look and oh well yes infinite game i think yes infinite game yeah yeah um so yes the infinite game yeah yeah and and i think yeah. And so I think that he really touches on this from what I haven't read it, but from what I gather talking about, you know, how do you build a business for this longevity, this legacy? And and I talk about this a lot with business owners because there's there's three types of business owners, but then there's also two types of businesses. So there, the three types of business owners are owners, owner operator and owner leaders. But then there's a big difference between a legacy business and a lifestyle business. And as long as you're honest about which one you want to build, then it's it's fine. But but I think that there there's this interesting phenomenon of building businesses that are um, <laughs> are disposable. Kind of like we have a lot of clothes that you know you buy and they're ten dollars, but then the next year you know they're basically worn out and you can't buy them again. Versus you know a three hundred and fifty dollar silk shirt. That you have for a decade, and I think that that we've we've done ourselves a disservice by not having people think about like why are you building this business? What is it solving? How long is it going to be here for? And I know for me, the reason one of the reasons I do what I do, the well, there's two main reasons. Number one, I want to help business owners get out from underneath their business so they can have the true entrepreneurial freedom that they've been really running after. And I believe you can have a life and a business, but so often we get trapped in our businesses that we miss out on our life. And so that's, that's part of it. And in that same vein, you know, the mental health of entrepreneurs is really important to me. And if you're, if you're honest with yourself about what you want to build and you're honest with your clients and you choose wisely, but you also have enough, um, shall I say flexibility and humility to shift, um, then I think you will stand the test of time because my friend Cameron Harold says, you know, if the rate of change inside your business mm. is less than the rate of change outside your business, then you are out of business. And I think that's really true given the fact that we have more innovation in one year than the past hundred years combined. And so I think it can be a little overwhelming when you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and the changing tides and this and that. But when you build a a sturdier boat, it yeah. kind of doesn't matter what the ocean does. You can sail the seas and weather the storm. But I don't think we've done a good job of of really communicating that to all the I'm going to use air quotes. So forgive me, everyone. Entrepreneurs Dude. that have launched a business <laughs> in air quotes again um, over the past five years. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. You know, one of my one of one of the things I thrive on doing is making that connectivity between the life you lead and the effective leadership that you end up uh, imbibing and and being contagious for, you know, and mm-hmm. it's the same thing I was talking to about with Don Gleason the other week. And, you know, why is it that we see the passion, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of people that arrive at Royal Ascot in in England or the test match around the globe or Wimbledon or Queens, you know, these, 
these passionate people that struggle to find that same passion for their marriage or their parenting or their business or their fellowship. Mm-hmm. And actually mm-hmm. those exact same skills and talents of dedication and leaning in and, and being the odd one out and not going with the crowd, the investment, the personal investment and dedication are what will make leaders. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That's really good to you to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Last thing I want to ask you, because I ask everybody, Lauren, every now and again, I have somebody of your influence and impact. (laughs) Generally, you know, every other person listening to this will go, oh, God. Generally, I just have normal people on, not people (laughs) with such influence. (laughs) I'm still still normal. (laughs) (laughs) You are, and it's been an amazing chat with you, honestly. Can you give people that have listened to this and we have yeah. a good we have a good fellowship here in the UK uh, and in the US actually strange enough it's growing who are listening to this and really inwardly say do you know what i need to challenge the way i am leading or i need to mm. challenge the way i'm going to onboard onto this ceo role or i need to challenge the way that to to morph and flex the dynamics of my team because privately and inwardly they're knowing that what they're doing isn't working they're not completely confident and they need a couple of just quick wins. Where can they touch base? What can they do to touch base on Monday, the 3rd of July to, to begin just to make that journey to say, do you know what this status quo, I don't have to live with the status quo. I need to be vulnerable or I need to be whatever it is. Give us some words, Lauren. Mm -hmm. So you're asking when, like a leader or CEO is feeling like things aren't working and they're not sure where to start. Where do they start? Yeah. So this might seem a little contrary, but the first place I would start is take a day um, and unplug from everything. Like just take a day, unplug from everything, all the telephones, the emails, the slacks, the dings, the whatever, and just be go read a book, go for a nice walk in the park, sleep, do whatever. Because I, I, I see this from my experience. A lot of times when you're stuck in the how hell hole, it's really easy to just keep spinning down and digging down because you're just so close to it and you're exhausted and you're overwhelmed and all the things. So sometimes that clarity is going to come from just taking a step back. That's number one. I actually wrote this in my LinkedIn newsletter um, yesterday, but I think there's a really interesting phenomenon that this, this author, another great book called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, she talks about resulting and hindsight yeah. bias. Yeah. And I love this because I was, I'm a recovering resulter <laughs> where essentially <laughs> you judge a decision as good or bad based on the, uh, based on the outcome. And then also you, you look back with all the information and you say, oh, I I would have easily made this decision or this was a great decision or this wasn't. Anyway, and I think that that so often we are stuck in this, this paralysis of making decisions because we fear it's going to be the wrong decision. Because a lot of times as as business owners, you know, we're in the hot seat. You know, we're making those decisions, making those calls. Um, and so I think that when we can 
the decision from the outcome, then that will also help us be more effective leaders. Mm. Um, but then the third thing that I would, I would really say, if, if you're feeling like something isn't working in your business, um, is in addition to taking the day is take some time and really talk to your team, talk to your friends, talk to your family. And, you know, you can, you can simply say what's working. Like, what do you think my strengths are? What's not working? Um, hopefully you have a relationship with your team where they'll answer honestly. Um, it's a really scary thing for people, isn't it? And I, and I encourage this a lot is to ensure that your leadership is on track. There has to come a point where you have to ask those who follow you. You have to ask your team, am I off the mark here? Have I, you you know, have we up here? Is there something out of kilter here? If you don't ask that, nothing will ever change. And you're right. You end up in this decreasing spiral of paranoia and disengagement and discommunication. I think that's really important message. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say, um, I mean, it obviously bringing in an, an unbiased third party like myself is very, very useful. But if you aren't going to do that, take and do, which is probably going to send a pang of fear down everyone's spine when I say this, but take two weeks off of your business, like actually unplug, let it run and see what breaks, which I know why this is like very scary to, and I recommend this to my clients. So it's not like, and I have also done this to, with my own business. Same. And if it's yeah. not two weeks, take a week, but if something is, is feeling off and you want the clarity of what that is, just take two weeks off, see what breaks, see where your team gets stuck, see where you're relieved or anxious and just take those data points because when you put down the duct tape and you step away from Slack and you stop hovering, trying to solve the thing, then it actually allows your team to operate in a different way that sometimes actually solves the thing that you're trying to solve. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge, you know, I advocate that all the time, even when you're onboarding to things. You know, I talk about that probation period. Yeah, that's a time, it's a really weird time because that's a time when you should say, right, let's reduce productivity by 15 or 20%. Let's look at where we are inwardly. Let's take these next 10 days and restock and calibrate. That's so, so important. Lauren, it's been amazing. I could continue the conversation, but I'm aware that I try and keep this podcast into an hour if I can. And we're just shy (laughs) of an hour. Um, You've been amazing. And really inspirational, practical hints for people to manage not just their leadership, but their business and their followership. And that's what I'm all about. I'm trying to make that connection with this is life. You're going to spend nine or 10 hours a day. It's no different to owning a dog or feeding the fish or whatever it is. It's about what you're skilled at. Can you give us um, a forum where people, if they want to continue this conversation, can they get in contact with you? that I can put with this podcast uh, where they can get hold of you if they need that third-party expertise? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, since I'm already in your ears, probably the best place to go is my podcast, The Biz Doctor, available on all podcast platforms. And it is very good, I can say. Thank you. Thank you. Um, That's where I share a lot of my thoughts around leadership, operations, teams, mindset, productivity, all the things. Um, 
that would be probably the best place. And then the other place that you can connect with me is goldenkeypartnership.com. We've got some great resources there. Um, yeah, that'd be great. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram at it's Lauren Goldstein. Um, but yeah, if you if you are feeling stuck in your bidding some support from the biz doctor, feel free to reach out. Lauren, thank you so much. Um, I know that the people who listen to this and contact me on the back of this podcast will find this uh, a real highlight of the season. So thank you. And we'll let you get on with your day. You're a friend of the life I lead. So anything that you want to promote or chat about, or you think this would be a great opportunity for UK leaders, you know, we're bigger in the UK than we are in the USA at the moment, then please reach out to us as well. And we wish you all the very best in this coming quarter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been an honor to visit with you. And I've, I've over the years had many UK clients, so I'm not unfamiliar with your island. So thank you. And I really appreciate it. And and I look forward to continuing the friendship. Wow. Well, thank you very much, Lauren. What an incredible insight. You know, I love that concept from great to exceptional. And there's a chapter in my book saying from good to great. And that shows you the growth mindset of people like Lauren that go from great to exceptional and how we should strive uh, to, to be that to be exceptional in what we do and looking at our cultural uh, systems and judging our results, you know, an incredible insight. So thank you very much. Um, I hope that was helpful to you. I hope it was an insight. I hope it drives you to be exceptional, to try and be inspirational. Um, If you have anything you'd like to contribute, please do contact us at uh, eagletransformationalcoaching.com or transform at eaglecoach.business and until then I hope you have a great week and uh, we shall see you same time same place next week take care thank you thank you very much for tuning into the Life I Lead podcast I really hope that something resonated with you today if there's one thing I want you to remember it's that you are also capable of being an inspiring leader. So I invite you to be fully present and fully alive to situations that may call you to step up and lead. As I say to everyone on my coaching courses, tell yourself aloud every day, I am enough. I am influential. I am a leader. Join us again next week on Monday at 7 a.m. And between now and then, remember the words of Eisenhower. You don't lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership.